welcome back to the um, Future of Fraud Investigation podcast. My name is Doreen. Today's special guest is a supervising senior investigator for the City of Austin's Office of the City Auditor. She investigates allegations of fraud, waste, and abuse within the city government. She graduated from the University of East Anglia in the UK with a Bachelor of Law and a Master's in Public Affairs from the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas in Austin. She is a certified fraud examiner with 10 years professional experience in both the fraud investigations and auditing. She has authored multiple articles on audit and investigation topics such as interviewing, investigating waste, and using social media as a tool for citizen engagement. I would like to welcome Senior Supervising Investigator Tapi Aletu Odibo. Hi, Hi Tapi. Hi, thank you for having me. How's it going? Yeah, thank you for being here. Good, good. So I know that you have quite um, a mixed background from being a creator of an online platform for you know music and art, um, and then all the way to being Supervisor Senior Investigator for the City of Austin. How do you see your journey so far and, and can you tell us more about it? Yeah, it definitely is a mixed bag because uh, when I did my undergrad, it was in law. And so for me, that was just, it just felt so boring. And I have this creative side of me that I really just wanted to explore. And I loved music and I loved art. And so when I moved to Austin, there was this like big community of music and art. And so I got really involved in that um, and just kind of helping them become aware of other artists that were similar to them, help with collaboration. Um, but then, you know, I ended up going to grad school at L the LBJ school and I just kind of saw different ways in which you can help the community through auditing, through investigations, through working with uh, the local government. Uh, and so it was just those two worlds just kind of came together perfectly. I didn't know anything about auditing or investigations. Mm -hmm. I kind of took a chance because, of course, at the end of the day, you need to make rent, right? And so, <laughs> you know, so then, you know, over time, it became more than that. It, it became fascinating. The cases were fascinating. The stories were fascinating. And I kind of saw the benefit to the city um, in that I was contributing to the ethical culture, which in turn was contributing to how... Um, the city could make sure that the funds were going to the appropriate programs, whether those were creative programs or just, uh, you know, the regular services that citizens um, really interact with. And so, you know, full circle, I was able to bring my legal background, which I thought was really boring, into this job um, and, and bring some of the creative parts of myself into the work as well. And so I feel like even though I've come, you know, from a very... Um, mishmash background like it's all come together to help me be a better investigator that's awesome that sounds great so everything from fraud investigations to art and music you have an interest in it all that's really cool um, so it seems like another thing you're involved with um, at the city of Austin is the social media initiatives um, what role do you think social media can play in fraud awareness among citizens yeah, so, you know, it's funny, we didn't even think about using social media in that way at the beginning. We, um, it started off as a means for us to reach residents about our redistricting process. And so I had to really do a lot of convincing about managers and the executives to say, look, this can go beyond just 
this one event that we're talking about, this one campaign. And so we're able to leverage it and kind of expand from like Twitter to Facebook and Instagram and use that as a way to reach a various generation of people, talking about our audits, talking about our investigative reports, things that we found. And we found that people were really interested in what we were talking about. They were retweeting, they were sharing it. You know, I would meet people on the street and they would say, I saw this on Instagram, like what's going on in the city? And so because we have a fraud hotline, we also thought, okay, if people are following us and they're reading our reports, this is a great way to get input from the community about things that they see maybe when they're out and about that an employee might not report that's kind of more in the field. And so we started using social media to promote fraud awareness, not only like what it is, um, but also Mm -hmm. how they can report it to us. And we also use the platform as an educational tool. So we would explain, you know, here are the criteria that we're looking at. Here's the the piece of law that we're looking at when we're talking about how this person stole money or how they embezzled. And, you know, allow people to understand why it's so important for us to do this work. So social media has been an incredible tool. And my unofficial title is social media coordinator. So I'm doing all the tweeting and Facebook and Instagram posts. Um, so that's another way in which I use my creative side. Um, in my job. That's awesome. So it sounds like really you're driving engagement with the public, maybe people who wouldn't know much about fraud in general. You're just kind of raising that awareness so Mm -hmm. that they, like you said, can um, report something if they see it. Absolutely. Sounds great. Sounds like you're really helping Austin out, you know. Um, So it also seems like you investigate, you know, issues of waste and ethical violations in the city programs. Um, Can you tell us more about, um, you know, these issues and what challenges do you face? Yeah, waste is something that it's so hard to nail down. It's such a challenge to investigate because you have this fine line between, you know, what is a management decision where the managers are just like, yeah, that's fine. If we end up losing money, that's great, right? Versus something that occurred because there was no... Uh, controls or systems in place to stop it from happening. And so we're constantly walking that line and that's what makes it kind of a challenge to investigate. You know, sometimes the issue is also so old that there's no data, there's no evidence. Maybe your witnesses have like resigned or retired. And so Mm -hmm. it's really hard to follow up on um, a lot of what's going on. And then also something that I've come across in investigating waste is depending on the ethical culture in the departments or programs you're investigating, you could run into hostile witnesses, you could run into people who are just so afraid of losing their job, they don't want to talk. So for me, just training myself on how to interview people, um, I've taken the read investigative technique, I've taken the peace technique that's used in Europe. Um, I've done crucial conversations. I've read books on how to influence people and make friends. Uh, I don't know what the title is, but you know what I mean. Just any way in which I can learn how to build empathy, which is such an important part of being an investigator. You have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of whoever it is you're talking to and kind of just relate to them at, at their level because when you can relate to somebody and they feel they can relate to you, there is a trust that gets built there, a rapport that gets built, and they're just more likely to be put at ease and more likely to talk to you. So um, convincing them has kind of been a benefit for us um, in situations, particularly when people are just so afraid to talk. But yeah, that's how kind of waste and the challenges we've come across um, when it comes to investigating waste. 
It's interesting, like you say, building empathy with the people that you're investigating. That's something I haven't actually heard before, but it makes sense, you know, you have to have not only these analytical skills to do mm -hmm. the job, but also people skills, the soft skills that come with it to really get to where you want to go with your investigations, right? Absolutely. That's, that's great. Um, you know, looking back, who would you say has been your most important mentor um, professionally um, and, and why? Now, that's a that's a tough question because I don't I feel like I've had I've been lucky enough to have multiple, um, you know, part of being at the city auditor's office, there has been some of my managers past and present have really made a commitment to my professional and personal development. And so they've mentored me throughout my growth in the 10 years that I've been here. So I want to give credit to every single one of them um, because they've really just shown me you know, kind of the roadblocks in moving through this career and how I, what, what I need to do to succeed, basically. And, um, you know, I've been able to use them to vent my frustrations, particularly when I'm working on a case that's just, I'm not able to break through on evidence or on a witness. And they just helped me build confidence in areas where um, I thought that I just wasn't good enough or I wasn't doing very well. And it turned out I was doing really great, you know? So um, just having those people that are not just there to kind of show you how to do things on Excel, but are also just there to talk about emotional intelligence and help you find the trainings that you need to fill the gaps in your knowledge. Those are the types of mentors that I've had and I've always, I've all reported to them. So it's kind of been easy to just kind of go to them for advice. That's great. Do you think there's any particular piece of advice that has stuck out to you um, looking back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I wish you would have known initially. <laughs> yeah, you know, just always being open to learning, um, mm -hmm. I think is kind of the thread throughout all of them. You know, not to just think that I know it and then that's the end. Like just continuing to improve myself, continuing to take training, but also uh, one thing that uh, my former manager, who's now our deputy, uh, Jason Hadavi, always talks about the importance of emotional intelligence, not just in the actual work of interviewing people, but also like how you work with your coworkers, right? And making sure that wherever you are, you leave a good impression because people will remember how you make them feel, not what you said, right? And so when they think about you when you leave the room that's the thoughts they're going to carry on you know to to their next job or whoever and when they're thinking about someone to do you know a podcast or mm -hmm. um to give a talk or whatever they'll think about you and how you made them feel and and you know any any help that you gave them along the way so that's something that i've incorporated is just to treat people with respect um, mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm helping them with their project without thinking about how I'm going to get something in return, knowing that, you know, um, good karma comes all the way back. <laughs> exactly. Full circle. If you give good, you might get it in return, but that's Absolutely. Great. Yes. Agreed. Um, so going back, talking more about fraud and abuse cases, um, it seems like often investigators do spend, um, uh, so much time um, looking for it, um, sorry, in the investigations. And it also, um, it seems like they sometimes overlook waste, like it's all about fraud and abuse. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think looking for waste can help save organizations, you know, millions or a lot of dollars during these lean times? Oh yeah, no, waste is so crucial and it's all, it's, 
it's surprisingly easier to um, try to find waste than sometimes identifying who stole the money, right? Um, because when you're looking at waste, you're looking at, you know, what were the internal controls that existed? Were they weak? You know, did they allow money to get lost or inventory to get lost? Those are things that are more um, available for you to see through observation and through like looking through paperwork than trying to pinpoint, you know, uh, who used this specific computer that's shared by like 10 people. Right. And so a lot of these issues are usually avoidable, um, having proper checks and balances, segregating duties, making sure, you know, different people are doing different roles. Um, and just listening to your employees when they raise concerns about problems. So waste is such an easy area in which you can make improvement to an organization by just identifying that. Um, and, you know, it does differ because it, waste isn't about one person choosing to steal or abuse. It's the whole system failing. And when you have well-meaning people, they can also waste resources. It doesn't have to be somebody who has bad intentions. So looking for opportunities and investigation to identify these deficiencies can help an organization. For example, when we did the uh, library fraud years ago, it was all about one guy stealing toner. Um, and of course, yeah, I'm sure you remember that. It, there was just a lot of toner that he stole, and that was just his fraud. But then when we looked deeper in the format of the organization and um, how they even let this happen, we saw that there was so many issues. Nobody was checking his work. He had multiple credit cards. Um, you know, he would just give them silly excuses like Best Buy doesn't give receipts, which is ridiculous. And so when you see all of these uh, gaps and deficiencies, you realize that someone else could have stolen something, right? Um, and so looking for waste is just as important as looking at fraud and abuse. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like um, even the things you don't think about, like printer toner can... Um, exactly. So... Um, you know, it seems like um, recently since uh, since COVID, there has been a lot of coronavirus support scheme frauds. What would you say um, the government could have done to avoid these or can do, you know, from this point forward? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because um, the problem with the pandemic was that it showed up so quickly and nobody was prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And there was this urgency to it. Everybody needed... Um, you know, protective equipment quickly. Everybody needed cleaning products. Everybody needed um, masks. And because of how quickly those things needed to be dispersed, um, a lot of agencies really just skipped their normal process for vetting. So they, they skipped their due diligence process. And I think that um, it's really easy to say, well, what could they have done better but, you know, there's this, you know, you have the triangle of fast, cheap, and good, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you could have the equipment fast and it could be done in a great process, but it's not going to be cheap because right. you might need extra people. You might need um, extra resources. And when people are calling in sick or resigning because they don't mm -hmm. want to work um, their job and, you know, they want a different career, it really does make it easy for schemes to see the weaknesses and to take advantage of it. Um, so I would say that if there was anywhere the government could have done better would just be to follow their existing processes that, um, that had due diligence steps that allowed them to check on making sure that the right people were receiving it, that the business actually existed, mm -hmm. um, you know, if they could hire 
you know, bring people from other departments to help do some due diligence checks. But it was, it is tough because, you know, you're working with depleted resources, um, even on a good day without a pandemic taking a lot of your um, staff. Yeah, it is. You know, at the end of the day, you can only do what you can. And like you said, it happens so quickly. You just have to get, you know, mm-hmm. get on the ball rolling. And like you said, yeah. you know, it's easy for things to get overlooked during these times. Absolutely. And um, let's see how, so talking about investigations, how would you um, identify red flags when you're investigating either, you know, fraud or waste or abuse? Yeah, so there's been, you know, there, there's always like a list of things, a running list of things that you want to look for when you're investigating fraud, you know, um, and it all depends on the type of fraud you're investigating, right? So if you're investigating um, theft or um, abuse, you're, you're looking to see, does is the person that I'm looking at, do they have more than one role in, in this process? Mm-hmm. Do they get to buy the, the item, log the item, put the item in inventory? That's a red flag because then that same person can, you know, um, cheat and adjust the count and take something mm-hmm. and make changes to the system. So, you know, that's, that's a really good example of that. In some cases, a lot of it is about like someone who has a lot of influence and a lot of discretion. So we tend to look for those things. And again, like I said, just poor processes that don't allow for, um, for checks to be done, or if checks are being done, they're being done poorly, or just the, the way things are set up is just not, it's just not very strong. But I would say that in most cases where I do find red flags is just from talking to employees. Um, you just start talking to them and you'll learn what they're doing versus what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see the gaps by just having a conversation with them. And then, you know, someone, you know, they might've heard a rumor of something. Oh, this guy went to Hawaii on vacation, but he has like the budget of an administrative secretary. Like, so how can he afford Hawaii? You know, and it's just little things that you're like, Hmm, I wonder where he got his money from. And so, you know, I've, Aside from the list of things that we train to look at, just letting employees talk to you um, about their situation, about what they've seen, can really spark some areas in which you should look um, when it comes to red flags. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you talked about earlier about empathy. If you can establish mm-hmm. that with whoever you're talking to, they're more willing yes. to open up and tell you more about those red flags that they've seen. So For sure, definitely, yeah. It definitely comes in handy being able to communicate, and I know you've even done that with some of your creative um, work as well. You've done short films and an online platform for artists and musicians. So mm-hmm. it seems like your interests are everywhere and really it comes down to being a people person, I think. So. Exactly. I would definitely I would definitely say just my exposure to all these different people in the music and art world, um, the ability to communicate with different types of people is has really helped me um, in, in this world of investigations. It's still a skill. You still have to learn to talk to people, empathize and all of that. What is, this one's a little deeper, what is one lesson <laughs> that your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at you know some point in their life? Um, I would say, and I think you could do this for anything, mm-hmm. but attention to detail, is the one thread that has allowed me to be successful. Um, Because one small detail can just blow up a whole case for you. Um, An email that seems innocuous, 
you know, can point to a large amount of waste. Um, you can have, you know, uh, I remember we had a, an untitled document. It just looked weird. It just was not, it wasn't titled like you would normally uh, title a document. And we're just like, oh, what's that? And you open it up and it has details of the fraud. This is where I sent all of the toner. And it's just sitting in someone's computer. So just look at, look at everything with objectivity and curiosity. Uh, double check your work. You know, be flexible and follow the evidence. Make sure you're looking at everything you have. Make sure you're collecting everything you can. It's better to have too much and narrow it down than to not collect enough and and miss something. So just being attentive to the details is has just been uh, uh, an advice and a lesson that I've learned over and over again. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's why everywhere do. attention to detail. Yeah. For sure. And um. What is the one thing you would change about the fraud investigation industry or waste or abuse? You know, um, if you had all the resources in the world, what would you change? You know, I, I'll say for the latter part on fraud and waste, I don't know that we'll ever get to a point where there's anything we can do, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be people who want to get something that they don't, that they didn't earn. Um, and so that, I guess is job security for me. But um, in terms of the fraud investigative industry, I think I would like to see more women. Um, you know, I've been to conferences and I've and, and I've been to just different events and it, it is a very male dominated industry statistically. Like I'm the only woman in my team. Um, and, and when you're recruiting, you know, when the pool's already so small, it's hard to find people um, to kind of make a diverse team. And, you know, there's something for everybody to offer uh, when you have a diverse team. So I would love to see more women getting involved in fraud investigations and knowing that it's, it's not just about being a guy right. um, in that, you know, you can come from varied backgrounds like I did and still be successful. So yeah, I was going to say, it seems like there's um, different avenues that can all lead to this um, job. Very much so. Yeah. And so uh, we had someone who used to be yeah, a teacher. Everyone I talk to has a unique experience and how they got here um so i think you know maybe finding like you said more women in the industry um maybe in their if they're in similar industries like you said law or other yeah. or public policy in some way they can be driven more towards the investigation absolutely um one of my coworkers, um before he moved uh, to a different position he used to be a math teacher <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally different you know so it's just anybody anybody can do it and then I want to I want to talk about it one last time. I know you mentioned it at the beginning, a little more towards the middle, but it really seems like you do have this great mix between this analytical and creative mindset. I know that you were the founder and creative director of it's called Space One Hundred Seven, right? An online platform. Um, so it said that you showcase different artists, um, and I it also said that you sometimes help produce short films in Austin. Yeah. Really great. Mm -hmm. So how? One last time, what would you say is your balance between this, you know, analytical stuff and your creative side? Does one feed off the other? Do they balance each other out? Keep you sane? I don't know. You know. Yeah. No, they do. I. I'm not. I'm not one or the other. I'm not completely left brain, and I'm not completely right brain. And you know, there are times when maybe I'm doing just so much analytical stuff that I'm just drained and switching over to a creative pursuit allows me to balance it. And, you know, there's a lot of people in my office that have, um, that have sort of other creative pursuits, whether it's sports, 
um, whether it's writing or podcasts, something that just kind of, you know, because the work can be tough. You're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with difficult people, difficult topics. Some people lose their jobs. So you need kind of a way to really just bring some joy to your work. But it also kind of feeds into each other because, you know, at work, I'm giving opportunities to pursue my creative outlets. Like, you know, I helped redesign uh, the reports that we use. I work on social media and that you have to be creative doing that. And just any other worthy ventures where I get to use my creativity, I know that, that, my, that the city auditor's office will provide that for me. But additionally, on the flip side, you know, I can bring my analytical skills in my project management skills to a short film um, and to like running a little website and making sure things are up on time. So in a way, each of them just feed into each other and just make me a very well-rounded person. Um, and in general, just having to find innovative ways to identify how someone committed fraud is creative. Like it, it is, you have really have to think creatively, how did this person do this? So it's not just always about the data. You, we need to go beyond Right. Analytics. You need to think on a human level, like, okay, if I were this person, Absolutely. how would I have done this? What would I have done? You know, to exactly. investigate. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have any other questions other than if you could give one piece of advice to someone entering, you know, this investigations career, what would you say? Like, if you could sum it up. Oh, tough one. Um... Oh, I don't know. Like that that definitely is a left field. I I I would just say be open and curious. Um, you know, it 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 really differs from place to place. Like I I speak to different people um, who are working investigations either in the private sector or in the public sector. And even within the public sector, the fraud is different, you yeah. know. Um, what what the state might look at is very different from the city might look at, the one the county might look at. So there's so many options out there and, you know, go and, and be open to it. Don't let your background limit you because a lot of it is on the job training. So um, I would just say be open, be objective. And if you have a strong ethical uh, and tilt towards justice, then then this is definitely the career for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Poppy. I really appreciate it. And hope you have thank you a so great much weekend, for having and um, take care. You too. Thank you so much.